weeks and the information he's put and his heart that he's poured in and the images that he's captured have been very much appreciated. So thank you, Pete. Hey, everyone. How you doing this morning? Give us a smile. It's been pretty cold the last few days, hasn't it? Yeah. Good to be warm together this morning. If you just want to hug someone next to you, if you're feeling a bit cold, why don't you just don't do that right now? I'm looking at the people who are looking at me saying, don't you dare even. But if you've got a Bible with you, I'd invite you to just open it up for me to Luke chapter 10. Or if you want to look on an iOS device, I just want to plunge in right now to a particular part of the Bible that we've been nudging around over these past few weeks as we've been really interacting with this conviction that we've had is that there's a wound in the spirit of our nation. So if you'd like to follow with us, I'd like to pause for a moment and read through a story that is recorded in the, the book of Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to read through from 25 to 33 as we continue on just unpacking and trying to land some things here with us this morning. Well, someone comes to Jesus and he's a lawyer and he begins by asking Jesus a question. A lawyer got up and a lawyer got up and put Jesus on the spot. He said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And what he was asking is a, a typical question that would have been asked of a rabbi at that time and that juncture in, in, in history in, in that Jewish nation. He was asking the question, what must I do to inherit the, the life of the age to come when God comes and puts everything right in this world? And so Jesus replies, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. In other words, with every fiber of your being, I want you to cling to God and make him your center. Love him with all that you've got from the tips of your toes to the top of your head. And he adds this, I agree with you, Sarah. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. In the same way that you love God, I want you to pour that out to the other people around about you. And so the lawyer comes back and says, well said. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Not only will you inherit the, uh, the life of the age to come eternal life, but you will be living the good life, the godly life, the, the great life-giving life right now. That's the way your maker designed you. Ah, said the lawyer, wanting to win the point though. But who is my neighbor? How far should I extend this love of God and other people to whom? Just the people who are the house of Israel, the people of God, the ones on the inside, or should it go beyond? And so Jesus, he says, pauses for a moment and tells him a story. Once upon a time, he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, the lowest city on the face of this earth. And was set upon by bandits. They stripped him and beat him and ran off, leaving him half dead. By chance, it said, a priest came along, Jesus tells. And when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant or a Levi did the same. He walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Two religious leaders failing in their duties to render assistance to a person who was half dead an anonymous person on the road. Now, this is the point in which the lawyer would think, well, the third person is going to be a hero, the one that's going to answer the story. So Jesus says, but a certain. And then you would anticipate that the lawyer would want to fill the gap, maybe himself, maybe a compatriot. Jesus will answer the question. It picks up in verse 33. And this is what it says. But a certain Samaritan, ouch, half-caste, half-breed, enemy, of a Jewish person. But a Samaritan, it says, as he traveled, 
came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. With these words, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Well, Jesus then turned back to the lawyer and said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? Couldn't even mention the Samaritan by name. He said, the one, I suppose, who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, if you want to live, go and do likewise. Powerful story, is it not? So over the past four weeks, we've been trying to answer the question, there's a wound in the spirit of our nation, and what do we do with that? But this story didn't just start four weeks ago, if you like. In fact, we've been on a journey of listening and learning for some months now. For those of you who were here for the series, I think in around July, we talked about what does a would-be follower of Jesus look like who walks on a skinny road because the world around about is very different sometimes into the direction and the convictions and the mores and the practices of Jesus. In fact, the culture around about is such sort of upside downside when it comes to following Jesus that we ask the question, what does it look like for a would-be follower of Jesus to walk down his skinny road? and to reflect his life and his love back into the community. And so if you like, when we answered that question, we told a bigger story, which said that followers of Jesus are the kind of people that realize in their own lives that they don't have everything together in their lives. That's what the big hand is for in that image. The idea that I have done stuff in my life to other people, and other people have done stuff to me, that I'm a sinner, that I do things wrong, that I'm a bit broken, that I'm a bit dark on the inside, and I kind of need some fixing myself. They're the first ones to put their hands up and say, God, would you do a work in me? Uh, Jesus, when you died, would you actually forgive me? That's what you're doing, taking my wrong onto yourself and so and putting your good into my heart so that it might change me from the inside out. If you like, Jesus was on about fixing people's wanters so that then they embark on a much bigger journey, if you like, a bigger story that God's on about that one day he's going to put the worlds to right. And so if you like, he's going to bring his order to chaos. Sorry, he's going to bring his order to chaos and bids us to do The same, followers of Jesus. So after that, we ask the question about posture. How do we posture? How does someone who wants to be a would-be follower of Jesus, living this loving God and loving neighbor, how do they posture themselves in an ever-changing world? And so we talked about these things, that a follower of Jesus at the base, at the base, at the very base, should be a lover of humanity. And they're the ones who live with humility because they know they've got dark stuff in themselves, that they don't have it all together. They've been forgiven and renewed on the inside, but they need that every day. And so they walk along this road, if you like, posturing themselves, saying, I want to interact with people with compassion. It doesn't mean I drop my convictions about Jesus, but I I carry them and, and I marry them and I walk with attention like this. And so this topic we've been talking about over the last four weeks actually is something we've been talking about over the last number of months. Did you know that? I've kind of been setting you up for this, not just this morning, but the whole thing through. Is we talked about sensitive topics about sexuality and homosexuality. And then we've talked about this topic about Indigenous Australians. And we've been asking the questions, how are you posturing yourself? You see, how, you, how have you been going with this, this idea of God speaking to you? There's a little 
prayer that was offered by Eli to Samuel, a little boy, who God was just starting to speak to. And he said, what I want you to do in the dead of night is I want you to pray this little prayer, Samuel, as a young boy. Speak, Lord, for your servant Samuel is listening. So I wonder, as you've been listening to God, how have you been traveling on the road down to Jericho? Because this story that we've been reading and noodling around over the past number of weeks isn't just an old dusty story in the Bible. Actually, the way Scripture and the Bible works is that it's actually a living story that you and I are part of when you hear it. And so the person walking down to Jericho is actually ourselves walking down to Jericho. So how have you been responding on that way as you've been interacting with Indigenous Australians? I wonder as you walk down the road, if you're someone who stands there, sees the wounded person and had preconceived ideas. Oh, come on, mate. That happened 200 years ago. Why don't you just get over it? You've got all the same privileges as us now. I mean, you're in the constitution's been changed for you. You've got land back again. I mean, we've poured so much money down your throats, we can't even believe it. I mean, come on. I wonder as you've been walking around the wounded person on the ground, if you've been kind of feeling guilty, maybe annoyed with Troy. Troy, what are you doing? Bring us on this political correct stuff. I mean, what are you on about? You want to sort of be political correct. Is that what this is about? Is it about saying that the black people are better than white people? Is that what this whole thing's about? I mean, we want to get to the spiritual stuff. Talk to us about the spiritual stuff of Jesus. He's not on about this physical, political healings kind of stuff, right? We know that, right? He's not on about that stuff. Give us the real hardcore good news stuff, right? I wonder as you've been walking down the road and you've seen someone wounded on the ground, half dead, beaten up by bandits, stripped naked of all privileges, left lying there. What have you been hearing God say? You've had 200 years to get over this. What on earth were you doing walking down the road in the first place? I mean, this stuff happens all the time. And you want me to come in now and help fix something? You see, this journey from Jerusalem to Jericho has been our journey, if you like. The prayer, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And what do we need to do to respond is less about for them. And a question that I've been wanting us to ask of ourselves Instead of, God, what must I do to help them? I wonder if the question and the prayer should more like be, God, what are you saying to me about me? As I'm seeing a wounded person on the road from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Does that make sense? You see, in all my years as being a pastor, when I've listened to people who share some of the most intimate things with me as a minister, things that they've done that they feel like guilty about and and wrong and kind of unclean about, but equally so, people who have come to me and shared some of the most intimate, painful, wounding experiences in their life where stuff has been done to them. I find that there are three powers, three powers 
that I know speak directly into the brokenness of the human soul more than anything else. Two, we can give. One, we can only receive. The first one I find is this. The power of a listening ear. The power of a listening ear. See, the lawyer was just wanting to catch Jesus out of tune. He was wanting to win the debate, if you like. Who is my neighbor? Wasn't even interested in listening to Jesus' response. Was just more trying to wait for the break and the pause in the conversation to put their own ideas and thoughts into it. How have you been going with the listening side of things over the past weeks? Have you allowed yourself to pause for a moment? to suspend your judgment and your preconceived ideas? Or have you been listening only to interject and to raise questions about? Have you been listening? I find that there's nothing more powerful than someone who is prepared to have a listening ear to someone else's needs. You know this. This is true, don't you? When's the last time someone sat with you seriously and just said, I want to understand? Have sat you down and just said, I want to understand. Could you please help me understand? You see, we've all experienced the power of a listening ear, have we not? Someone who has been less about trying to put their own judgment in and blame and interjections and more on about, just wanting to hear what it's like. The power of a listening ear. I've heard this over and over again from Arnie Janet, from Kutcher, from Scott Dalo, who was here last week. As I've interacted with them by email, talked with them out in the car park, the the thing that has struck me more and more is that for these people who are coming and sharing their stories, just just being able to tell their stories and have a group of people who are listening. I mean, you heard Kutcher say, there's something welcoming here. I don't quite get it. I I think there's God at work. (laughs) I don't quite get it why you just want to listen to me. Set aside your preconceived ideas and listen. I interact with them out in the car park. And there's this power of this connection that when someone else listens to you without trying to put their two cents in, you know it to be true. So that you feel validated from the inside. You feel as though there is worth in my life because someone else is prepared to take the time to listen to me. The power of a listening ear. Have you got a power of a listening ear? You can give that to anyone. Two weeks ago, I was up in Canberra. I told you that we had that documentary that was being played up in the theatre for the East Timor and the oil plight. Afterwards, we, we mingled with a group of people who were up there celebrating that documentary. I introduced myself to a man and I said, what do you do with yourself during the week? He said, I'm a teacher. I said, fantastic. He said, what do you do? He said, I'm a, uh, actually, I'm a minister of a church. And he goes, really? And then the floodgates just opened. Sometimes you can say that. I'm a minister of a church and it's like there's a target on you. Did you know that? He said, I'm a gay man who's wanting to follow Jesus. Oh, I remember. We we covered that topic. Where where do we land on that? And he said, as a young person, I grew up and I kind of started to have these thoughts and these feelings in my life and I didn't quite know how to make sense of them. And as we would... He said, I went through all of the reparative therapies and and I thought I was fixed. And then um, I got married and I had children and my marriage just disintegrated. 
And, and, and he said, and then one day in my life, I actually went public with what was going on inside of me. And I posted that um, I'm a gay person. And then it hit me. He said, and the amount of hatred I received via email on Facebook from people who said they were following Jesus, who said I was going to hell and that God hated me and, and, and that I was just, there was nothing good in me. And he said it just went on. And as I'm listening to this man unpack this kind of vitriol and this venom and this hatred, I just found myself going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, loving humanity, living with humility. Where is? And I found myself apologizing to him. I said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I am so sorry that's been your experience. Near the end of the night when we had finished off our conversation, I said, can we keep in contact? So I'd love to know what might a church family, what might have a community of faith followers have responded to you that might have made a difference in your life at that time? And he emailed me back this week and he said these words. He said, Troy, he said, firstly, I just want to thank you for listening to me. And the kind of listening, and he said this, the kind of listening that just doesn't try and put your own two cents in, but the kind of listening that just allows me to tell my story so I feel like I'm understood. I tell you, friends, there is power. There's one power you can give in your life, and it, it speaks into the wounds of human souls and broken souls. It is that when you have the power of a listening ear. You're hearing me? Are you following what I'm saying? Power of a listening ear. The second one is this. Power of empathy. So you can give this. See, empathy works like this. Not only do I understand, seeking to understand, but I am seeking to feel your pain. I'm seeking to feel your pain. You see, the Samaritan was the only person who felt something that day walking down the road, saw this man wounded, half naked, half dead where he was, and he saw him and said he was filled with pity. Not pity because over the man, but pity for the situation itself. He walks over to this man and he scoops him up and he puts him on his donkey and he carries him off to tend to him. You see, the power of empathy goes something like this. In, in someone else's life, when someone listens to them, they feel validated. I am worth listening to. When someone takes the time to actually say, and what must have it been like for you? Or to try and put yourself in their shoes and to see the world from their perspective, to feel the pains and the grievances that they felt, something powerfully happens in an individual's life. They feel like just for a moment that someone else is actually carrying their pain with them. When tears are shed and when hearts are broken over what people are saying, and I've seen this work time and time again, not because it's like some trick or not because it's some formula, but when someone truly enters into someone else's, it's as though for a moment someone else is carrying their pain and they are not doing it alone. Do I make sense? Am I making sense here, everyone? Because this is some of the most profound thing. The power that you can give of empathy so this uh, Saturday, I'm conducting a wedding in a restaurant on Spring Street in Melbourne, just near Parliament House. This week, I went to do the rehearsal at that restaurant. I'm walking up Burke Street. And as I'm walking up Burke Street, there's all these people that are lying around in the corners sleeping now. Homelessness crisis. And just as I'm about to get to Spring Street, I look around the corner and someone stumbles carrying a big bottle of wine. Who is it? An indigenous person, obviously an indigenous person. He had darker skin than I had. 
slightly different features. And as he staggered around the corner of Spring Street, the first thing that hit me was not, oh no, here's another one. But I wonder what your backstory is to have brought you to this place. I wanted to stop right there. I was running late for the, and I literally, my first gut reaction was, I want to say, hi, my name's Troy, what's yours? Not because black is better than any, but because I've sat and interacted and felt some of this empathy for someone else. It's a wounded soul. And I know the power of being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes I've experienced in my life, and I bet you've experienced it too. Something happens. And finally this. What I also discovered, those two you can give. This one you can only receive. Jesus intersects my life when he speaks into my world and begins to heal my wounds and my soul says this about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might be freed from sins and live for what is right and good, and righteous. It's by his wound that you are healed for you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your true lives. What I discover in Jesus Christ is that when someone actually opens up their lives and says to him, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you for what you've done for me. Would you work in me? Would you transform my heart? I find there is something that happens. The new life that Jesus brought into life when he rose from the dead comes alive in the individual. And that actually shifts something in their lives. It's like God's filling their heart with a new kind of love that they can pour out to everyone else. If you like, the person who was going down on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, (laughs) the person who needed help was you and I. We are the wounded man who's lying on the road. And what we discover in Jesus is that he's the one. God comes and it's Jesus who comes with his donkey. And he reaches down in our lives when we open up our hearts to him and say, would you help me? Because there's some wounds that I can't fix of myself. There's some sins that I just can't forgive for myself. Would you help me? That he picks us up on his donkey and he walks us to an inn and he rubs his oil and his ointment into our lives. He's the one who pays a price that we cannot pay for ourselves. But he offers us up freely so that anyone who knows him might experience the healing of a broken and a wounded soul. Am I making sense this morning? You see, this series has not been so much about them as it's been about us. How have you been traveling on the road? What's God been saying to you? You see, what I discover is that when I've experienced forgiveness and healing in my life, it shifts in me something for another. I wonder what God might be speaking to us about today. I'm going to show you a clip right now by a wonderful indigenous lady. Her name's Mavis. She tells a story about forgiveness. And then after that, I'm going to invite us to interact with a time of communion as we finish off our series together this month. But my friends, it's only the beginning.
Have a watch.